We're doing a Bible study that some of you have not joined us, but you're joining us today to do, and it's a study on getting a grip on some practical areas of our life. We've been talking about such things as speech, about just handling our anger. We've been talking about relationships with others, and we've been talking about even the relationship with the Father. But today we want to continue in a section that is about the family. I would invite you, take your Bibles and go with me to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Our goal in this study is to help you to have a relationship in your home, in the core part of your home, in particular in a marriage. Not that you have this type of a relationship where you want to irritate or agitate one another, but rather to have this type of a relationship where you want to rejoice and enjoy one another's fellowship and company. Years ago, I met a couple that when we first met them, they were like the first picture. They were irritating each other. They had met in college. They had gotten married. And they both then, after they, after they got married, they both went into their careers, and they were very successful. Both highly motivated, very bright, creative individuals. But as they began experiencing success over a period of time, they kind of grew apart and each in their own little field to the point that after months and months and a few years went by, all of a sudden weekends when they were just the two of them, things were getting tense. And every weekend it got more tension until it became weekend. Weekends were fights, were arguments, were just can't stand each other. And after this went on for an extended period of time, she came to the point that she says, I've had it, I'm done. And she determined and filed for divorce. It was at that moment that he was humbled, that he went and sought out a Christian friend and asked him what he could do. The man shared with him the word of God, and as a result, the individual repented, dedicated his life to Jesus Christ, and determined that he would do everything he could to try to restore his marriage. So for the next few months, he tried to portray Christ, Christ's likeness, to the wife who wanted nothing to do with him. She could see a difference, but she still had no inkling. She was hurt. She had bitterness in her heart. She had anger from what had happened those previous months and years. So she kept the date. For that divorce to go through, and on the date that it was supposed to go through, she called him that morning and said, I think I'm, I think I'm making a mistake something's compelling me to do this. I'm going to stop the divorce. And I want to give you another chance. And I want to work at this relationship and this marriage. And she made out, went on to basically say this to him, but I won't be able to do it unless I get what you've got. So they went together and contacted that Christian friend. She got saved and dedicated her life to Christ. Over the years, they raised a family together. They determined to follow Christ. They determined to apply some of the very thoughts we're going to be talking about this morning. It wasn't always easy. It wasn't that everything was all peachy keen. They had their rough moments. But they held together. And they became an example in the church where they served. They counseled multiple couples over the years in the church where they served. And today, they are still deeply in love with each other, committed to each other and reliant upon each other even in their, what we would call their latter days, as they are now just enjoying time together, the two of them. That can happen to anyone, can happen to everyone, who would just apply these simple truths. 
they would say, I need to make God a welcome partner in my family. We've talked about this already. That if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, that's the best thing you can do for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, for your parents, for the rest of your family. Then we've been talking about applying some rules that have come out of a passage that is our foundation passage that from the very beginning where God created the family unit, where he said to the man, leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife. There's lots of different truths here that we've been trying to talk about and share with you with the hope that it would help you in your family. Those rules were simple. Marriage is a good thing. It's not something you need to run from. It can be a really good event in your life. We already talked about at length some of these other rules about it's one man, one woman, about God being a part of your search, about the idea that you're to complete, not compete against each other. We've talked about that idea that when you get married, you form your own family. You're to be independent of that previous relationship, not isolated, but independent from it. We've talked about that idea that you make your marriage partner your major focus. We've talked about the idea that this is a lifetime commitment. We could also talk at length this morning about this fact that when it comes to that marital relationship, sex is a good thing. It was before the fall. It was when God first put them in there and held them, be fruitful and multiply, keep on becoming one. That the intimacy in the marriage relationship, it is a wonderful thing that God has created to be enjoyed. In fact, we talked about this. A few weeks back when we were talking about dating and saying to young people that you've got to make sure that in your dating relationship, you maintain God's moral standard of not engaging in sex until marriage. That marriage is the proper place. And we showed you passages like this, that it is good for a man not to intimately touch a woman, but to avoid any type of immorality, have his own wife, she her own husband. Marriage is honorable in all things, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. That there's supposed to be purity. There's supposed to be faithfulness. That there's supposed to be that devotedness to one another in this one area. Marriage is honorable, but fornication and all uncleanness, let it not even be named once among you. We could talk at length about that even more. But I think I need to talk more at length when it's in a different setting without the young people present and just talk to the married couples and set that aside for another time, weeks in the ahead. So I want to jump from there and get into this most important area. This idea that God has specific roles for every single member of the family. He has some roles for the kids. He has some roles for the grandparents. He has some roles for the husband, for the wife, for the parents. He has something assigned, and Ephesians 5 and 6 gives us some of those assignments. I want to start with that which is the most important part of that family unit, because that's where it starts, and that's the husband and wife. And God speaks to the husband and wife in this text, and we jump down into verse 21, read, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, 
even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, his flesh, his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be, too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Very clearly, God is saying to the men, whether you're married or you're advising somebody about marriage, or you have sons that you're raising, you need to make sure that this truth gets across. Husband's assignment from God is real simple. You're first of all to be the godly leader in the home. That leadership isn't something that this text is, is going to pervert, but it's going to make it very clear that this is something that God says you absolutely have to do, men. Direct commandments. Be the head of the wife, as Christ is the church, the head of the woman. We'll talk about in a moment from 1 Corinthians 11. Indirect statements when he says to the wives, be subject to your own husband. Obviously, she's supposed to follow his leadership. He is supposed to be leading by indirect statements, implication and commands. In fact, you're supposed to, older ladies, you're to be teaching the younger ladies how to be obedient to their husbands. So we need to explore that. What does it mean by this godly leadership that the husband is supposed to provide for the wife? Is it this idea that, you know, is popular this day? Not at all. This is another one of those YouTube messages I fully expect I'm going to get some complaints on because I'm going countercultural. It is not the idea in in America today that husbands are to be leading the home. We know that that is not what society says, but the Bible surely states it encourages it. We know as well that this was God's plan, not because of the fall, but from the beginning of creation. Hold your finger here and go with me to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, it is a pivotal passage that is just so important in this study as we continue thinking about. Now, we're not talking about communion. That's later in 1 Corinthians 11. We're talking about the communion you have in your family unit between you and your wife. And so, as I stated, this leadership is not a result of the curse. It's not a result of a culture. It is something that is not bad, but really good. And it's something that can bring great joy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he uses an analogy here, an illustration about husbands and wives. And he starts off in verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And then he goes on and talks a little bit further. Stop and just think through what he's just said. What he has just illustrated is a wonderful biblical truth about submission. When we hear the word submission, when we hear the word of leadership, we usually think of domination. We think of somebody being subjected, somebody being put down. That is not at all what God has in mind. God has no no plan that one should dominate or abuse or do anything wrong. In fact... God makes this very clear when he says, hey, just like in your homes, I want a certain orderliness. I have that in the Trinity. Watch what I mean. The Father to Christ, what we just read, the head of Christ is God the Father. Does that mean Jesus is less God than God the Father? No, not at all. Okay, but he says, we know he's fully God, yet in the Trinity, is there an orderliness? Is there, uh, is there the idea that Jesus would follow the leadership of the Father? 
in doing his plan, his will? And did Jesus have joy in doing the Father's will? Yes, he did. I delight to do your will. Do you see the analogy that he's made? He says, this is the same as in a relationship in a marriage. He says that in, like God is the leader of Christ, the head of the wife is the husband. Does that mean she is less valuable than the husband? Not at all. Not at all. No less than God. Jesus Christ is less God. The wife is not less of a person because she has an assignment to be following. He makes it clear that she is equal yet for the orderliness of the home. He says that the husband is to lead, the wife is to follow. It is not something evil. It is even in the Trinity that there's an orderliness, where there's a submission pattern. And he says, so in the home, where there can be great joy, great delight, if it is followed. And so we make these observations. Submission does not suggest that ladies are inferior. In fact, Christianity elevated the ladies from the cultures in the day when the Bible was written. Ladies were to be treated with honor and with respect, not to be dominated or put down or defeated. In fact, the divine order doesn't even tell the man that he can do whatever he wants. For those men who in their mind would say, since I'm the leader of the home, I'm not accountable to anybody. I can do whatever I want and everybody has to take my will, my way, my timing. is just unbiblical. Because what Jesus makes clear is the head of every man is Christ. In other words, the men who are leading in the home, they have to follow what Jesus says that they are to be doing. They are not given freelance or free reign to just run rampant over their family members. They're to provide godly leadership. That is to be helpful to the family, to be positive to the family. It doesn't mean that every decision has to be made by the man alone. That's not what submission leadership is. It doesn't, leadership doesn't mean you don't have to listen to anybody. A good leader will get counsel. And in the home, to especially, take the counsel from his wife. It doesn't allow to dominate, as we said. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear that when he submitted to the Father, he did so with joy. And yet he had his own mind. He had his own opportunities to make decisions as long as they were within the Father's will. As a church, we, the church, Christ is our head, just like the husband-wife relationship. Do we get opportunity to make decisions? Yes or no? You're supposed to say yes. Let's try that again. Do we have opportunity to make decisions? Much better. Thank you. Okay. We get to choose when we have services. We get to choose who the preacher is. We get to choose whether we're going to do a sacrificial Sunday or not. We get to choose where we're going to send those monies. We get to choose a lot of stuff. And yet we're to be submissive to Christ. So to say that a wife who is submissive has no brain or no choice or no opportunities, that's just so unbiblical. That is so wrong. What it means in godly leadership, is that it means that, guys, you as a godly leader are going to protect your family. You're the one who's primarily responsible to make sure that there's protection done. That means you're the one who's primarily making sure that people aren't overwhelmed in your home. That their schedules, that their responsibilities don't wear them out or wear them thin. As the leader, you're to be making sure that there is oversight over making provisions for those in the home. That is, you want to make sure that the finances are in order. You want to make sure that there is a spiritual activity in order, that there's physical orderliness, that, that the home doesn't mean you have to do it all. 
It just means that you are overseeing it or delegating it and making sure that, hey, we're, we're keeping up with the bills. Hey, we're doing things spiritually here to help our family out. That you take the initiative as the leader. That you're the one that is setting goals and direction for your family. And it may be you go home and say, we need to make some changes here. That's leadership. We want to improve in this area. That's leadership. Leadership is saying that we're going to set up certain rules in our home. As the kids are little or they get to teen years, we're going to be adjusting that rules. And then you're making sure that they're adjusted so that you're treating the, the kids at a level that is appropriate for their age. That they know what are the rules in this home. What are the standards? How are we going to go about when we need to make decisions? Or if there's a decision made that creates a conflict, how can they come and talk to you? You're, guys, you're the ones that are supposed to be setting these standards. You're the one to make sure that there's orderliness. That when there's in family schedules, uh, t- today's families, are you busy? Yes, no? You could be going seven days a week. Men, you're to be protecting your family to make sure that we're not wearing out or wearing apart even in our schedules. You're the one that is to make sure that instructions are given and understood. You're the one that has the responsibility that when there's difficulties in the home, that you help negotiate the peace so that we are living peaceably one with another as a family. And the kids are learning how to live peaceably with all peoples. You're to be the one that is to be an active participant in the development of your kids. Not a passive provider, but an active participant. That you are engaging, that you are there, that you are giving time. Man, you're to be the one that is to be providing the best example. This is leadership. Leadership isn't always saying, it is living. It is portraying. And you're the one that's supposed to be giving the example for the family unit, man. You're the one that, that when all of a sudden you're saying, hey, um, you're going to utilize the talents, the gifts in your home of other people's. You're going to, when there's a discussion and when there is a final decision that, we, hey, we got six of this, half a dozen of that, what are we going to do? You've got the ultimate will, final decision. You make it for the benefit of the family, not for yourself. It means that you're the one who has the responsibility for what happens in your homes. You're the one that God is saying, you're the main shepherd of the home, gentlemen. And so you got to stop and say, okay, what, do, what does this mean? What does this mean? How am I doing in this area? And you got to start asking questions and evaluating and saying, hey, do I give the answers or is it typical in your home? The answer is go to your mother. Oh, I, that's easy to do. Ask your mother. Go to your mother. But you are the ultimate head of the home. Gentlemen, what does it come to example setting? What kind of example do you set when there's tensions? When things aren't going right? When there's trials in the home? When there's a conflict? When you are asked a question, how honest are you? What type of example are you setting for the rest of the family? What type of example do you set when it comes to reading and praying? Reading the scriptures and worshiping the Lord? You have to ask yourself some questions. Do you provide instruction to your kids? It is interesting. We'll get to it in a couple weeks where it says, Fathers, provoke not your children. The idea, and then he goes on, train them up. It's primarily the dad's duty to make sure that instruction is being done. Doesn't mean you do it all, but it means you are the one making sure it's being accomplished. Gentlemen, do you give an example by leading in prayer? By having your family... 
know that we're going to church and we're going to be thinking about the Lord. We walk out of here. And what do you do? Where are you men? Where do you lead the conversation? Are you one who's saying, okay, what do we do? How do we, how do we build this relationship better? And taking the initiative when there are difficulties that you want it corrected. We can go on and on and on, but I want to get to the ladies. We've, we've done with the men. Let's jump to the ladies for a second. What does this text tell the ladies that they're supposed to do? It says several times in this text that the ladies are to be what? To their husbands. You don't want to even say the word, do you? Okay. Ladies, submit to your husbands. And right away we have a bad idea what this means. We, we think this is something horrible and awful. Christ submitted to the Father. It's not horrible and awful. Is it going to be painful? No. Christ had joy submitting to the Father. And so the idea here we go is this, is that you are to be submissive to your husbands, and it's stated several times in the text and elsewhere that this is supposed to be one of your primary assignments, that you're submissive to your husband. It is not the idea that you lose your identity. We've already talked about this. Christ didn't lose his. The church doesn't lose ours by submitting to Christ. You don't lose your own opinions. It doesn't mean you're to be oppressed. It doesn't mean that you're inferior. That is not the concept at all. So please get that out of your mind. And when people at work ridicule churches like ours who preach this concept, correct them. That when we say submission for the wife, we are not talking about subordination to the point of, of just her becoming just a, a thing in the home. That is a wrong concept biblically. We're talking about somebody who is choosing because it's the right thing to do to support her husband. You see, it's not optional. It's commanded multiple times in Scripture. wonder why God commands the ladies to submit. Because it's a struggle? Any other possibilities? Uh, None of the men are going to say much more. Okay, we'll get in trouble. Could it be a struggle? Isn't it an important concept? Yes. Could it be that the ladies don't want to hear it? And so we're just going to say it over again. Okay. There's all those possibilities. But the reality is, it is something that God has commanded you ladies. And we know as well, it's not an easy thing to do. Especially if you end up with somebody like me. I gave you your moment. You could have said amen. Okay. But let me tell you what it is. This is universal for all wives. Look at the text. It is submit yourselves. It is voluntary. This is you choosing to do what God says. Not him forcing you. God's saying you have to choose this. It is as well to your own husbands. It doesn't say ladies submit to all the men. Oh, thank God it doesn't say that. Okay, it says to your own husbands. The passage says, keep on submitting yourself. Okay, not just once. Okay, I did it. When we leave church, I'll submit. I'll let him choose where we go for lunch. But after that, we're done. Okay, it's not the idea. The idea is in everything. It's talking about finances. It's talking about direction. It's talking about decisions. It's talking about dealing with other issues, but never Never, I'm going to submit to go into sin. It's you're submitting in the Lord so you don't sin. You don't agree to lie. 
You don't agree to be dishonest. You don't agree to do something wrong. But you do say, okay, I got to do this unconditionally. Not if he starts leading, then I'll do it. If he says, yeah, no, you do this before God because this is what God wants you to do. As the church allows Christ to lead, you're going to allow your husband to lead. As well, we say this comment, it is spiritual. This is a spiritual service unto the Lord. I'm not trying to put you down, ladies. I'm just trying to get you to understand. This is, God says, this is what you're doing unto me. This is how you can serve me by you submitting to your own spouse. And so it'll help you in your walk with the Lord. And if you're not walking with the Lord, it's going to be really difficult for you to do it anyway. But it's going to be profitable. It was profitable in your life, in your marriage, for your generations beyond you. But that's not it alone. Ladies, he gives you something else to do in this passage. He says at the end of the verse, the end of the text, oops, I need to be back in Ephesians. He says, the wife see that she... What's that last verse in Ephesians 5? What's it say in your Bible? I have see that she reverence her husband. Anybody have something different? Respect? Okay. Okay. The word is this idea. The word for reverence, just like the church does to Christ, the word that is used is the word for phobia. Okay? Fear. Phobia. Phobio is the word in the, in the active. It is to elevate, to greatly respect. It is that idea that God says this is a command, not optional, and this is something to be common in your life, ladies, that keep on doing this. Now, we get an illustration from another text of what this might look like, and it's going to irritate you, okay? So just pause and think culture when we talk about it. But what does this look like? First Peter says, Sarah obeyed him, calling him Lord. Cat's got your tongue, huh? Yeah. Is that what it means? Does that mean you're supposed to be saying, yes, master? Yes, master, whatever you want, master. No, no, come on, let's put it together. We understand that in the ancient culture, that was a respectful title, that she would call him Lord. It was, it was proper in that day. I'm not going to ask you what's proper today. Okay, I'll, <laughs> we get too much. But to reverence your husband, I can tell you what it's not. It's not doing any of this, ridiculing, mocking. It's not disrespecting him. It's not bitterly criticizing, belittle. It's not regularly second-guessing. It's not the idea of whatever, okay? It's not the idea of talking him down. You know, he's not around, and he left a chore undone. And so you're going to go in there, and you go to the, and the kids are with you, and you go, oh, look what your dad did again. He never does anything. He never... That's this. That's tearing down. You say, but I'm frustrated. Don't make it right. It is this. To respect is to brag on him, speak graciously, encourage the kids to respect him. If there's an issue, graciously confront. It is this, cutting off critical remarks by other people about him. It's asking him for the Bible direction. It is the idea of thanking that person. It is the idea of using affirming words, speaking respectfully, politely. 
Those are all of the possibilities here. But for the wife, he's saying, okay, are you doing this? And so we ask the questions, ladies. Do you let him set the tone and the direction? Do you listen to him or cut him, cut him off? When it comes to, okay, we're dealing with the kids. We're, we're having an issue with the kids. As one couple, I heard them talking about their kids, and they, she said, okay, I got the kids from one to three, from zero to three. I'm taking care of them. You don't touch them. I got all the discipline because I don't like the way you would discipline. And then you can have what's left over. That is totally in violation to Scripture. He's supposed to be setting the tone. She's not supposed to be blocking him off and disrespecting him in front of the kids that way. Do you keep things from him when it comes to finances? Are there secrets? Are there these conversations? Don't let your dad know. Really? I I, I understand for a gift or something that's positive. But... Don't let your dad know. Why? Why? What, when a decision has been made, do you keep on asking for the other alternative until he finally says, have it your way? Are you the one that reverses his decisions when he's out of the house? And don't let your dad know. Are you one of those who speaks about him, brags about him? Or are you one of the Christian ladies that this becomes very dominant in our type of churches I guess I gotta submit for the Lord's sake. I gotta follow him. Oh, you poor martyr. It's not a chore. This is a service unto God. Let's jump back to the guys, though, and bring it all together. Guys are to be godly leaders, but they also are to be responding by being godly lovers. Godly lovers. In this text, husbands love your wives, so ought men to love their wives. Let every one of you love his wife. Why is it repeated so often for the men to love their wives? Because we're hard-headed? Any other wise answers? Because it's important? Any other possibilities? God demands it? Okay, we can, we can list all these out. We can say it's a problem area for men to be loving. It could be that men are hard of hearing by choice. Not in your home, could be. I'm talking about like mine, where it's just selective hearing. It's hard to do. Men just don't have, haven't done it, and they're being told it's important. It's the most important time to be encouraging their wives. Whatever God's reason is, God is saying it multiple times. Husbands, love your wives, love your wives, love your wife. But then he gets really, really steps on toes when he says, okay, not only have I commanded it, but it's to be comprehensive. That is, all of you husbands... Love your wives in a concentrated focus. That is, love your own wife. This doesn't have to be belabored, but the fact is, love your wife, not some other person. We, we could emphasize this idea. It's to be continuous. Keep on loving them. You know, even when... Does, does Christ love us even when we're unlovely? Yeah. It's not one of these types of things that shows up in cartoons. Okay? This is not what we're talking about. Okay. That, that, you know, but that's the way it's portrayed in the world, that it's a real problem here. What we're talking about is being Christ-like. Being Christ-like. Okay? How does he, what standard did he set? Love your wives as Christ loved the church, and then as you love yourselves. Think this through with me. If you had to fill in the blank, 
Jesus' love towards us is one word. Okay, let's get a bunch of them. It's sacrificial. Unconditional. What's that? Loving. Eternal. Selfless. What else? It's complete. I'm sorry. I can't even say it. Unfathomable. Yeah. Okay. Patient. Anything else about Christ the way he loves us? Okay. Just. Do you love your wife the way Christ did? Would she say this morning, I see Christ's love towards me in you? Because you do this. This, guys, is what we're supposed to be doing. This is how we are to love our wives, as Christ loved the church. And then he made it even, even more challenging. He says, even as you love yourselves. And he goes on in that thought, and when he's talking about it, He's talking, he says, for no man yet, and he talks about cherishing and nourishing. The word nourish means to bring to completion, to bring to maturity. I want to take you back where we were just a couple weeks ago. Christ has a plan for your wife that is to bring her to completion, to grow. What are you doing to help your wife become all that Christ wants her to be? What are you doing to nourish her spiritually? What have you done? How have you helped her in her walk with the Lord, in her worship with the Lord? What are you doing, men, to help your wife become a godly woman, the way God wants her to be? The word cherish, it's meaning to keep warm. It's the idea of provide security. The idea of security is that she is confident and content in your relationship. She is confident that you are there for her. She is confident that you will support her as she does right. She is secure in the idea that you are meeting her needs emotionally, spiritually, physically, socially. Are you there, guys? That's what he's dictated to us. He's told us that this is what we're supposed to be doing towards our wives. So she feels complete. She feels at rest in this marriage that this is a good thing. It's not always easy, but I know we're going to make it through. It's not always without bumps, but we've got each other. It's like that first picture that we showed. I don't remember half of what we did, but we did it together, and that is enough. Is that the way your wife feels? That's the way you're supposed to be making her feel. That's what God said you're supposed to be working on. And so you say, okay, how do I do this? I believe all things. I hope all things. Forgive at all points. It means I need to be expressing that love. Did Christ express his love to us? Yes, don't. Did he show it? Reassure, reassure her. Don't underestimate the simple hug. Help her with something. Listen to her like Christ listens to us, the church. Little things like forgiving and not holding a grudge, not, not keeping it against her. 
for days and weeks and months and hours, whatever. Encourage her. Give her some of your time. Do something special or unexpected. I shared with you that one of our, one of our missionary wives years ago made this comment. She says, one of the things, we have a really good relationship, but the one thing that I can describe our relationship is boring. I said, what do you mean by that? She says, there's, really, there's nothing ever to really look forward to. There's no surprises because he is so methodical, he wouldn't think of a surprise. And it's kind of like, okay, day after day, and I love it, and it's great, but it sure would be nice to be surprised once in a while. You know, some light at the end of the tunnel. The idea here is the small gifts, the tokens, if that's her love language, speak with her. So you bring it and say, okay, what happens if we have those tense moments? You have to ask yourself, gentlemen, what would Christ want me to do right now? If we've got something that's, there's a tension, how am I supposed to respond to her? My body, my mind says, don't talk to her, give her the silent treatment, make her feel bad. She'll give in. Is that the way Christ would do it? So you have to say, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be Christ-like. If we can bring it all together, we've got four different thoughts so far. Guys, to lead to love. Ladies, follow and respect. Can we combine them together and make it where it's rubber meets the road? Loving leadership. Respectful submission. That is what's supposed to characterize all of our homes and marriages for us who are married. Does it? Would your co-workers, your relatives say, yeah, that's them. That's them. Is it hard to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's against our nature. But if we allow the Lord to help us, we can achieve those godly homes. Father, I pray, help us here. Not just to, li- to learn but to actually live these truths, to work at what we need to work at. Help me not to work at what Deb needs to work at. Help me to work at what Wayne needs to work at. Help me to focus on that. Help the men here to focus on what they need to do. Not what their wives need to do, but they need to do. And Lord, I pray that we, the, the kids would see a difference. There would be a peace in the homes. There would be an orderliness in the family. There would be a display of Christ-like love day in and day out. Father, help us to live it. Since I preached it, you know what's, I know it's going to happen. Satan's going to try to have a heyday this week. He's going to tempt a lot of us here in this room. He's going to put some roadblocks in so we don't live and just go back to the SOS, same old stuff. Help us to determine, to improve, to grow in grace, and to live by your graciousness. Thank you as well for the many who are here and very attentive and supportive, though they aren't in a marriage relationship. Some of them have said goodbye to their loved one. And for them to sit through these services, I know it's very difficult. But I really thank you for their many comments and their supportive suggestions over the last couple of weeks. Thank you for their sweet spirits. Father, I pray that you bless our fellowship. Give us a sweet time. And help us to have a week, if you tarry, where we honor you to the best of our abilities.